0: This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards from New York Times bestselling historian H.W. Brands. Comes the riveting story of how in 19th century America, a new set of political giants battled to complete the unfinished work of the founding fathers and decide the future of our democracy. The book is Heirs of the Founders, the epic rivalry of Henry Clay, John Calhoun, and Daniel Webster the second generation of American giants. In the early 1800s, three young men strode onto the national stage, elected to Congress at a moment when the founding fathers were beginning to retire to their farms. Daniel Webster of Massachusetts, a champion orator known for his eloquence spoke for the North and its business class. Henry Clay of Kentucky, as dashing as he was ambitious, embodied the hopes of the rising West. South Carolina's John Calhoun, with piercing eyes and an even more piercing intellect, defended the South and slavery. Together, these heirs of Washington, Jefferson, and Adams took the country to war, battled one another for the presidency, and set themselves the task of finishing the work the founders had left undone. Their rise was marked by dramatic duels, fierce debates, scandals, and political betrayal. Yet each, in his own way, sought to remedy the two glaring flaws in the Constitution its refusal to specify where authority ultimately rested, with the states or the nation, and its unwillingness to address the essential incompatibility of republicanism and slavery. They wrestled with these issues for four decades, arguing bitterly and hammering out political compromises that held the Union together, but only just. Then, in 1850, when California moved to join the Union as a free state, The immortal trio had one last chance to save the country from the real risk of civil war, but by that point, they were never further apart. Thrillingly and authoritatively, H.W. Brands narrates an epic American rivalry in the little-known drama of the dangerous early years of our democracy. H.W. Brands holds the Jack S. Blanton Senior Chair in History at the University of Texas at Austin. He's written more than a dozen biographies and histories, two of which, the first American and traitor to his class, were finalists for the Pulitzer Prize. His most recent book, The General Versus the President, was a New York Times bestseller. Happy to have H.W. Brands join me here on Speaking of Writers. Welcome.
1: Delighted to be with you, Steve.
0: So what gave you the idea to write this book?
1: I got the cue from the last line of the biography that I wrote of Benjamin Franklin. There's a quote of Franklin, so I didn't make up the line. Franklin is coming out of the Constitutional Convention after it has just adjourned. The convention has been held in secret, so nobody... In Philadelphia and who else knows exactly what has been going on. And a woman of Philadelphia who recognized Franklin, a very recognizable figure, went up to him and said, Dr. Franklin, what have you given us? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. So this was the gift of the founders to the next generation, but it was also the challenge, because Franklin understood that the work of defining the new nation had only begun. It was by no means at an end, and that there was unfinished business. So This is the story of the next generation. Before I sat out to write the book, I looked at the literature on the first generation of American leaders, the generation of the Revolutionary War. And there's a huge literature, the bookshelves grown under the book. And, of course, there's an even larger literature on the Civil War. But there's this rather sparse space in between. It's kind of like flyover country between the coasts. And there's a lot of stuff that went on You start with the Revolutionary War, you end with the Civil War, but how do we get from here to there? And maybe more importantly, because we sort of have this notion, there's this this sense of inevitability that comes with the retrospective history. Of course, it was going to happen. In fact, one of the questions is, how did the country get even so far as the Civil War? Because this new nation under this new government could have broken up on three or four occasions before then. And the fact that it didn't really is the story that I tell in this book about the the three celebrities of American politics during that era.
0: We're chatting with New York Times bestselling author H.W. Brands. His new book is Heirs of the Founders, the epic rivalry of Henry Clay, John Calhoun, and Daniel Webster, the second generation of American giants. So what do you think Adams and Jefferson thought of these three?
1: Jefferson was somewhat intrigued by Henry Clay. Adams was quite taken by Henry Clay. Well, excuse me, John Quincy Adams was taken by Henry Clay. John Adams John Adams was somewhat suspicious of the whole thing because Adams had been skeptical of the idea of democracy in the first place. He was an old-school Republicanist and disbelieved in the virtues of democracy because one of the stories, an essential part of the story, through this era, through this book, is the emergence of democracy, the radical idea that ordinary people should actually be able to exercise political power. And John Adams, of course, he was retired by then. He never would have been able to make the transition. So he was skeptical of of the people who could. Thomas Jefferson was something of a salon Democrat. He was a Democrat in theory. But of course, there was nobody who was more privileged in his education, in his background, in his general way of life than Thomas Jefferson. So although he could put to words the idea of democracy, he had a hard time living it, and he was quite alarmed by what democracy, the emerging democracy, was bringing forth. So, for example, one of the the centerpieces of the story is the battle over the Missouri Compromise of 1820. This was Henry Clay's idea about how to bring slave state Missouri into the Union, While getting an agreement that the northern part of the Louisiana Purchase would remain free for all time. But Frank, excuse me, but Jefferson was alarmed by this. He said it it came to him like a fire bell in the night that there should be this dividing line that was written into American law between North and South, between slave and free, because once you draw that line, then all of a sudden the rifts in the country become geographic and those can become secessionist in time.
0: We're chatting with H.W. Pranz here, and speaking of writers, his book is Heirs of the founders, the epic rivalry of Henry Clay, John Calhoun, and Daniel Webster, the second generation of American giants. As you did your research for this book, um, what surprised you the most about Clay, Calhoun, and Webster?
1: Very interesting. I knew something about each one. I've been teaching American history for 30 years, so I know the stories, I know their reputations. One of the things that struck me about Henry Clay was how sincerely he wrestled with the moral issues of the day. I knew Clay as this guy who had run for president again and again and failed, and I assumed that he was driven by the ordinary kinds of ambitions that drive a lot of politicians. But I came to respect the the struggle that he had dealing with these issues as someone who was still part of the political game. This was an era when the abolitionist movement was coming along and the abolitionists they were able to sort of speak their consciences, but they they weren't effective players in the realm of politics. They just said, slavery is wrong, let's be done with it. And then they washed their hands of responsibility. Clay was one who wanted to take responsibility. He was an enigma in some ways. He was, he was the kind of person that's hard for 21st century minds to get their head around. He was a slave-holding emancipationist. He thought that slavery was an evil institution. It corrupted slave owners. It oppressed slaves themselves. It undercut the fundamental principles of the American Republic. But he still owned his slaves. And so one of the questions is, why did he do Why didn't he just free his slaves? And the answer is because he understood that for him to free his 50 slaves might benefit those 50 slaves. There would be complications there, too. But nonetheless, he would be less effective in making case against slavery, which he made his whole career, if he were not a slave owner he had to be able to speak as a slave owner to other slave owners to say, this is a bad deal, we need to get out from under it. So Clay's an interesting character that way. Calhoun is one who has this, Who he probably had the keenest mind of his generation, but he was one who didn't know how to put the brakes of common sense on the places that his intellectual powers would take him to. And Daniel Webster, Daniel Webster was a charmer, even as he was in certain ways, somewhat petty ways, uh, corrupt. So he would take money from people whose positions he was arguing in the Senate and in the House, and he wouldn't tell anybody about it. Now, technically, it wasn't illegal in those days, but it certainly was a conflict of interest. But he was one who grew up poor and always felt he needed more money, and he would sometimes cut corners to make sure that he got his money.
0: At this time... These three were really the rock stars in Washington. I mean, the galleries would be packed.
1: Well, this is, again, a reminder that things were different in the past. One of, that's one of the things that I find intriguing about the past. Things were different then. In those days, the American political system was driven by Congress, not by the presidency. Now, that's the way the framers of the Constitution intended it. Article One of the Constitution is all about the legislature, about Congress. And uh, the second article is about the executive, and the whole point of the executive is that you execute the will of Congress. And so you could be a great man in politics. In fact, arguably, Henry Clay was the greatest man, greatest political figure of his generation, despite never having been president. If you transferred that record of accomplishment to the 20th century, it wouldn't make sense, because in the 20th century, our system is driven by the president and the presidency, and people who fail multiple times for the presidents, you're simply known as losers. But not Henry Clay. He could run for president and not win, and his reputation didn't suffer at all. Not in his own day, certainly.
0: H.W. Brands, the book is "Heirs of the Founders: The Epic Rivalry of Henry Clay, John Calhoun, and Daniel Webster, the Second Generation of American Giants." Thank you so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: And this is speaking of writers, and that's Capital Region Sunday, a production of Town Square Media Albany for this week. We're back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.